I have directed Secretary Connolly to suspend temporarily the convertibility of the dollar into gold. We print it digitally. The strength of a nation's currency is based on the strength of that nation's economy. So we, you know, we as a central bank, we have the ability to create money. What does it mean for you? We also print actual currency. Yeah. But remember, our, our economy has got very strong, long-term fundamentals. That actually increases the money supply. All but perfect agreement on macroeconomics. Now, that just sounds so romantic. He could have just... This is a podcast dedicated to exploring the money that rules the world and the guns that back it. This is Guns and Money. Hey everyone, uh, welcome to the third episode of Guns and Money. I'm Dan Willis, I'm the host of the show, and um, I'm excited to have you with me tonight. We're going to discuss the conclusion of surviving the Great Reset. This is the final kind of talk that I will give, presentation that I'll give uh, surrounding the Great Reset specifically. I think it served as a really great um, jumping off point to get in front of you guys. It, it's it's getting traction in a lot of circles, uh, both within the mainstream media, although it's it's typically uh, presented at a certain light, um, and also in, in uh, less mainstream places like Mises is, I would consider, a, a pretty serious outlet for thought and economic discussion and, and political philosophy, um, but not not widely read, not like you know, the New York Times. But in any event, it is picking up uh, some speed and, and it's hitting people's radar pretty quickly. So I wanted to kind of just touch about, I wanted to talk about how you and I can actually prepare today. How do we start doing things in our day-to-day life, week-to-week, month-to-month to make ourselves more resilient, to make ourselves um, more reciprocal, with one another and and to make sure that we keep our awareness of what's going on in the world uh, acute enough to avoid major pitfalls. I mean, that's really, that's the crux of what I've done with a lot of, a lot of the folks that I know now watch and listen to this show. This all came from conversations from you guys about what I thought, what I thought we should do, and and what's going to happen. And here we are. So um, excited to have you with with me tonight, uh, or today, or whenever you're watching or listening. (laughs) I I'm going to make you a promise. I will keep this show shorter than the last two episodes. It was the last one especially was easy to get into the weeds on um, some of the details shared by the World Economic Forum, Klaus Schwab. And his counterpart uh, on that book. Um, a couple of uh, just quick personal updates. I <laughs> put out a tweet the other day. Uh, Jamie and I thought we had COVID the last few days. Looks like that's not not the case. Jamie got a, a test today, and I believe it was an antigen test. And I'm not totally spun up on the if there are any issues with those tests. Um, she found out pretty quickly that it was negative. Now the PCR test, I think you have to wait a little bit longer, but there's there's a really important thing that we need to understand about those those tests and that is the cycle threshold. But in any event, we are COVID-19 free in this household. Um, my son was tested a, a week or two ago when we had to go to the hospital for some follow-up 
uh, a follow-up visit for an existing thing he's already had. He's fine. Um, all is well, but it's, it's definitely kind of relieving to know that we're not, we're not hanging out with, uh, coronavirus or SARS-CoV-2. Um, and so I appreciate the, the thoughts and, and the, um, the prayers and just the general support that, uh, that y'all put forth there. Um, so yeah, let's, let's break in tonight's chat. Let's break into tonight's chat and, and talk about some things that we can do to become, more resilient, to become more, more full-hearted and, and to keep our clear eyes as, um, as things around the world unfold. Let's go. All right, so here is the beginning of the deck. Um, and just as a quick reminder, if, if you haven't watched the first or the second video, I would highly recommend you go back and take a look or a listen. Um, it'll it'll set the groundwork for you. <clears throat> and one thing I want to add before we conclude our, our talk about this is I think that the likelihood of success of the Great Reset actually actually working in the manner in which the authors and, and the organizations involved in this project, I think are less than 5%, especially in the United States. The United States has some unique social and cultural and political um, dynamics, for lack of a better word, that are in play that I think make this very, very difficult to swallow. So even though it won't succeed, and I may have mentioned this in the last video, but even though it won't succeed, it does not mean that they won't try their hardest to push it through. I think it's already being pushed through in some respects. And it also does not mean that those efforts will not be disruptive. I think they will be highly disruptive. And to keep in mind, you know, if they fail, if the plans fail as they are laid out, and if this this ambitious um, reset does not work. That doesn't mean that that we're victorious. Um, their failure is not our victory unless we are prepared for their failure <laughs> or their success. But I think it serves us best to be prepared for their their failure. So what can we do? What can you and I engage in today to prepare ourselves for this? The short <laughs> the short answer is a lot of things, but I know it's it's easy to get caught up in, well, I don't have the resources. I'm not independently wealthy. I don't have, you know, $200,000 in cash to pay off the note on my home. Or you just, you don't have, you're not in the spot that's ideal that you wish you, you wish you were in as you head into a massive paradigm shift like this. It's okay. It's okay. I think that while this will be chaotic and very challenging, in a lot of ways, it will also be um, this unfolding paradigm shift will also bring about it lots of bring with it lots of opportunities. If if you have your your head on a swivel and your feet firmly planted underneath you, I think you will you will be able to recognize some trends and some themes that you can actually benefit from, and that will actually make it. You might actually get some pieces of your life back that you haven't had for some time. 
But the first thing that we have to do as, as individuals, as families, and as local communities is we have to become resilient. And the beautiful thing about becoming resilient is it starts in your mind. The, the, we, we are often our own worst enemies. Our own worst enemies. <laughs> we 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 are often um, we are often so caught up in focusing on the wrong things that we don't even realize the the raw material that we have in ourselves that we're working with. And this is this is not to point fingers or, or blame at anyone. Say, well, you should have been paying attention. It's nothing like that. It's it's a it is a result of modern life. Modern life is incredibly distracted. And this is something that I started noticing, you know, a few years ago, 2015, 2016. Everyone has has their plate of stuff that is just full. If you've if you know if you have kids, if you're trying to make it in in a corporate setting, um, if you've got a, a household with a family or you've got two working parents, which I know is a lot of us, um, the to-do list and just keeping the train on the tracks can take up so much of your mental energy and your um, your capacity to handle stress and to handle kind of external shocks that you you really have lost your mental resiliency. So many folks have come to me over the past year or so and said, "What is going on? What what is happening?" And you can see it among uh, older generations that maybe were were more, maybe they were served by the status quo better because it had turned out okay for them. And so they bought into some of the narratives that define our politics and define how we interact with the leadership in the world and with, with companies. And, and they did okay. And, and maybe it wasn't so bad. So they they're less prone to to see what's on the horizon and that's fine but you've got to understand that this starts with with your mind and with your mental processes and and how you think about the future if you think the future is going to look like the past forever um, there's a good chance you're going to be surprised and resiliency also has a big big piece to do with your heart and this is a little bit, this is a little bit tougher because it's, it's kind of spiritual and it's, it's kind of based, I guess, in a little bit of um, this concept of reciprocity or the golden rule where we should be treating, especially those of us that have, you know, strong families and, and friendship circles and, and networks. We, we need to be treating everyone that we come in contact with regularly with a lot of reciprocity and a lot of empathy and grace because as people are having the uh, curtain pulled back in front of them, they, they may not be prepared for that. So if, if you feel like you know, you're, you're on board and you're totally picking everything up that I'm putting down here and, and you find yourself getting frustrated with others that maybe don't see it or don't get it or just haven't spent the time to understand we really have to be careful to to extend a lot of patience and a lot of grace to, to those folks and a lot of empathy. And that's something this comes from, you know, the well of Dan Willis. <laughs> I am I am 
historically speaking, <laughs> not very good at this. I, I, uh, I'm not always great at understanding where people are coming from and giving them the room to process things. I need to know, are you with me or against me now? You know, and, and I, I can get very, uh, I can get, I can lack empathy when, when people don't understand my ideas or, or see things the way I see it. Um, but the building resilience in your mind and how you talk to yourself and, and, and setting up even almost like little games to win where you just build up your confidence where you don't have to go change the world tomorrow, but Hey, make your bed. Right. What's the um, Admiral McRaven? I think he was a uh, a soft commander of some sort, special operations forces. He wrote a book called Make Your Bed, and it's basically he was a for, he's a former Navy SEAL, but it's basically a, about just accomplish one thing right when you get up every day, and that immediately not only does it release actually good chemicals in your brain, but you start off the day with a win, with a win, and. That can be the difference. At the end of the day, how you started it can be the difference on, on how your day went. Because if you had a great start, you can draw on that and, and deal with whatever comes out. And I know this is, this is super, <laughs> this is very qualitative. Um, but I think, I think this is a very important, an important qualitative piece. This, this will help you deal with the quantitative stuff. If, you're, if your mind and your heart um, if they're not resilient, it, you you won't you won't follow through on the action side. And again, that's that is speaking from deep, <laughs> painful sometimes personal experience. So I, I don't want anyone to think that I'm I'm shaking my finger. I I'm I'm pointing it directly at uh, at myself. Um, but once you build resiliency in your mind and you and you commit yourself to a process of of always engaging in that, and and once you build uh, the resiliency and and empathy, reciprocity in your heart, your actions will follow suit. Once it's here, once it's here, you know, head, heart, action. And, um, you know, action is obviously going to be the most, most important piece in a, in a quantitative sense, but it, it all comes from a resilient mind and a, um, a reciprocal and empathetic heart. Uh, and here's how I approach kind of this, this chat tonight. It, none of this is, these are not 10 commandments. These are not um, the, the end all be all rules on how you should approach this. But this is basically to, to help serve uh, you building your toolkit for what we're, we're, what we're going through. So becoming resilient. The, the first step here is we need to secure for a, a period of time in my estimation, we need to secure the basics, the, the first uh, the first building blocks of, of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. I think that is the most important thing. Um, you should have what we, what our family has done, Jamie and I have decided that we want a year's worth of reserves for our physiological needs. We wanna be able to keep a roof over our head to keep ourselves and our children fed uh, to keep water in our bodies and, and to keep access to rest and, and things that keep us out of the physical elements, we want that covered for at least a year. Um, and that means, you know, having enough savings to, to pay your mortgage. If you don't own your home, we don't own this place outright. So we, we still have a note to service, which, which makes things tricky. And I know a lot of you are in similar situations. 
Um, there's going to be, there could be a, an element of walking the tightrope a little bit. Right now, you don't see that because the CDC put that moratorium on foreclosures and evictions. That's that's going to peel back at the end of this month, and it doesn't look like Congress has quite figured their stuff out to to replace that with a new mechanism without there being um, significant turmoil for a lot of folks that are in arrears on their mortgage or on their rent payments. So we, we really need to cover those physiological and even even safety needs, you know, personal security. Now, in employment, you don't have direct control over unless you're self-employed. And even then, you are at the whims of whatever market you're in. Um, resources, you have some control over. If you're, if you're gainfully employed now and um, you've got some savings or some, some discretionary cash, you can, you can deploy that in the resource world and that will help health and property. I mean, these, these two, the physiological needs, the safety needs, those are, we need to be able to secure as much time as we can without breaking the bank to keep those two things covered in the event that there is a temporary disruption in our ability to access those things, whether it be supply chain disruptions with, with um, food providers like grocers. I, We've we've noticed some, you've seen some like menu item reduction at at restaurants and fast food outlets. You've seen limits at a lot of grocery stores. The toilet paper thing I think is insane. Uh, you know, ultimately, I'll just I'll take care of business with leaves if I have to. But um, you have seen reduction on on or a, a an attempt to reduce probably stockpiling, but. You know, of, of of meats in the um, in the grocery store, there was an issue with the food processors, the big the big players like Smithfield. I think I mentioned in the first video where there was a COVID outbreak early in the pandemic that really gummed up the processing part of the value chain for for packaged meats. And basically, you just you don't want to be caught exposed. You don't want to be if if you're the kind of if you're the kind of individual that just never even thinks about what if you can't get the food you need from the grocery store, how long can you live within your own means if that is something that you run into? I mean, the answer is probably not very long. Um, you do not need to be wealthy to achieve this at all. So Jamie and I put together we have a year's worth of calories stored away. And it cost about, a year's worth of rice was about $200. And what I'm going to put a link in the description the, to, that will take you to a resource that we use to start building out our stockpile. Now, we're not crazy. We're not, you know, we're not um, religious fanatics. We think this is the second coming of Christ. We're not, I just, I want to make sure that if, if push come to shove, I don't have to rely on anyone outside of my circle of influence, my local circle of influence to to provide for my physiological or, or safety needs for a period of time because the, the likelihood of disruption is high. I think over the next two to, to three years, you could you could see some wild stuff. Um, if you live in the city and, I, and I've probably harped on on this with you before, but if you can get out, do it. If you can find another place to rent or if you own a condo, if you can get out of the city, I would highly recommend it because wherever you have high population density, you're going to have very acute problems, even if it's short-lived, even if it's a couple of weeks. Um, 
that that can be a mess because now you have a crowd element to deal with. And if you cannot leave the city, which which not everyone can, if you can't do that, I would recommend planning or building, you know, an escape hatch. Ha- have some kind of plan with some go bags and, you know, a week or two's a week or two worth of of calories and and somewhere to go. So I've I've got friends that live in the city here in Ohio and I've said, "Hey, if you don't have some place to go, let me know if you need to get somewhere. We we can we can at least put you up for a little bit. We can get you out of the city and um, onto onto green pasture or snow covered pasture today. But you need to be able to you need a plan to get out of the city if you happen to live in a high population density area. A really great book that I'd like to plug that I read earlier this year um, comes from the Twitter handle off the res. And I don't, I don't know the individual's name off the top of my head. I've forgotten it. I want to say Clay Martin, I think. I, I just started following him this year on Twitter. He's a former Green Beret, and he wrote a book called Concrete Jungle, which is really about his experience in the Berets effectively instigating insurgencies. And he has a lot of firsthand, real-time experience with how these things unfold. And in his book, he's saying that this is the beginning of it. This is how you see full-blown insurgencies form. Now, I don't know that, that that's what will happen, but you are starting to see real resistance at at, at the city level uh, with, with the more extreme lockdown provisions that we're going through on this second round of lockdowns when a business can't pay their rent or, or you know, keep food in their family's mouths and, and a health inspector is trying to shut them down, that, that can tip. That, beca- that can become a boiling point really quickly, especially in a high-density area. So cities cities are, are not where you want to be. Oh, I didn't put a graphic on this slide. <laughs> I kind of rushed the slides together because it's been over a week since I put, put this out. But the, the content will, will stay the same. The second step that you need to focus on, and this is incredibly challenging right now because we are in the COVID-19 world to varying degrees, you have limits on your liberties if if you live in certain places or you just have I, I kind of a feeling like I don't want to be responsible for you know getting a family member sick or god forbid the worst thing happens there's there's not a lot of face time right now uh, you know person to person but you have got to build a local network and that's where Jamie and I are right now. Um, we're in a couple of different places along this process, but <clears throat> uh, we are we are building out a local network of people that do things, people that are capable, people that have resources, builders, tinkerers, people that can fix things. When we're we're brushing up on our ability to do that as well, uh, strategists. And I kind of consider myself, you know, a strategist and and a an information hound in terms of I I like I like dealing with the the random puzzle pieces and trying to put together what's happening. And the last the last bullet here is movers, just just people that can't help but do. They they can't help but take in the data that they get from the world around them and formulate a plan on doing something because you know, they want to be autonomous, uh prosperous, free thinking, free people. And you want to build out this network as much as you can while we still have the time to do that. And I, not to say that um, we're all going to be put under house arrest or some crazy thing like that. Although in New York City, that might be coming. Uh, we'll see. But 
we have lost, I think we've kind of lost this ability a little bit because of technology. We, we're just a little bit too plugged into our own worlds and our own echo chambers. And we've lost that, hey, uh, I should maybe I should bake cookies for my neighbor. And that's something that simple. We haven't met all of our neighbors around here. And that's something that's on deck for us is to just uh, either take some of our chickens that we raised this year or, or something or cookies or just and go and just introduce ourselves and say, hey, here's what we're here's what we do. If you need anything, don't hesitate to reach out. You know, be, be a friend to your neighbors. That's that's one way that you can start building that local network. Um, and if you want to do it in a, on a little bit more of a if you want to do it with with more strategy in mind where you need certain people obviously you're going to have to change that that up but you just talking to local you know business owners and shop owners about um how business is what their what their plans are going to be if if things get worse how you can be helpful just just find ways where you can spend a little bit of your time kind of adding value in that local community and people will flock to that people will uh, will naturally I think appreciate that and it, and will help you build local relationships in the event that you get caught on the short end of the stick or that someone needs something that you can provide or that you know a lot about. We're just going to need lots of it's uh, lots of micro networks that when you zoom out, it's kind of like a fabric. Um, I, I think that this is beyond beyond finding resiliency. This is the second most important thing you can start doing. I have a Discord group um, that a good friend put together, and and all of my my close pals are in that Discord chat, <clears throat> and we constantly we have a channel where we're like, who needs help? Who needs help with the project? Moving a, <clears throat> I think my friend Micah has a has a uh, a cast iron fireplace or something he bought, and he you know he needs help installing, and we're like, hey, sign me up, what, you know, where do you need me? Set up a, a similar forum if within your circle. Get a group chat going on on Discord or Slack or something, and just check in once a week with your with your folks and see who needs what, who's got ideas on maybe to build something or a business plan or just anything. Um, make yourself available to to your local community and start really building out that network. And even when it's even when it's not as easy face to face, you know, technology has advanced to the point where um, we can do it in a manner that's that's incredibly safe and, and digital. And uh, at the very least, you're having that having that connection. You're spending that time to build plans if, if that's what's needed and um, you're getting to know more folks. That's. Our, our local communities are, are going to take a, a major a major role in our lives, I think, in a way we haven't seen in many, many years. Um, whatever you have to do, figure it out. Whatever it is. Um, how, what kind, whatever kind of network you want to build, just figure it out and, and start picking up the phone and, and making the calls or beating the pavement. And, and knocking on doors to, to meet folks and um, and to build that network. Obviously, try, try not to be a weirdo. Like, hey, I think the world is ending and I want to be your friend. Um, no, don't do that. But just just be a full-hearted human. Introduce yourself and and um, extend extend that that reciprocity in the event that it's needed. I, I know the. the 
jobless claims number from last week was was a hot print. It was higher than expected. There, I mean, there are tens of millions of people that are going through some very challenging times right now. You you might be surprised what kind of a need you tap into, and you might also be surprised at at how many um, how deep and, and the breadth of the resources that you have in your own family or in your own circle to to rally and and help. That is that is how we are going to build a new life from the ground up like a new life where we're leaving where we are but just relying on your communities and and doing things at the local level is a very organic and authentic way i think to to rebuild some of the institutions and ideas that have failed us or in some cases outright betrayed us um and the last step here, and this may not apply for everyone, but it definitely applies to me. And I think it might apply to a lot of you. And honestly, necessity might make it apply at some point. But that third step is to find sources of income outside of your nine to five job, if that's what you do. And there, there are lots of really interesting ideas to consider in this. This isn't just a a Hail Mary out of desperation, try to invent Uber um, in the middle of this great reset. Not at all. The key theme here is that we are not totally going to deglobalize, but it's going to, globalization, I think, is going to slow down out of necessity. There just isn't enough energy or enough political will to extract that energy in a manner to make it useful for all of us without again adding so many problems to our existing suite of problems that it the what you get out of it the juice isn't worth the squeeze so this this theme of localization is is really i think going to be paramount we have spent the last we spent longer than this even since ricardo um the old economist that talks about comparative advantage but We've been globalizing for a long time and we've been hyper globalizing for like 50 years where all of the supply chains or a lot of the supply chains for a lot of the products that we rely on are very complex. They're very interdependent. They are not resilient and they will be disrupted. They will be disrupted worse than we have seen. If I were a betting man, um, (laughs) <laughs> I would say I'm I'm kind of a betting man. Uh, I I think that that I would say that's that is on deck. So my I, I'm just kind of presenting how I think about this. If you if you have if you want to take this further, I will make you know, private one-on-one time available for that because I'm going to start doing the work here. I've got some time off from my my day job, but. Basically, my thinking is let's find complex, geographically uh, distant, non-resilient supply chains that provide products that are really, really beneficial, really efficient, especially for things like um, anything like agriculture, especially if it's small scale. Small scale agriculture is having a a renaissance in lots of parts of the country and something that that Jamie and I are really excited to start participating in. But again, I, I don't have all of the details fleshed out on this, but my thinking is that if we just go through import data and start looking at some of the products that rely on 
um, a very, very fragile value chain, we can maybe engineer some solutions to localize those value chains. No, they won't be as efficient. No, you won't achieve the scale that that you'd be competing with right away. But buying local is going is is going to be forced upon us. So if we can if we can lean into that and and start being proactive about what those local things will be, I think you set yourself up really well to at the very least be opportunistically inclined, right? As as the chaos and the and the change unfolds, if we can if we can stay clear-eyed enough to to see what opportunities might come about from from that that disruption, you are going to be you're going to be a leg. Uh, you're going to be a step ahead of of maybe the average individual, or or you might be able to better hit your um, your Maslow's hierarchy of need targets in, in a more efficient, quicker way, and not put some of those those reserves to um, to the breaking point, or or worse, run out of what you need and not have the income. I mean, we're probably going to get universal basic income at some point. From the federal government, um, but it's not here yet, and that that will also unlock new doors with different problems behind them, uh, especially depending on how it's done and and what the what the cost is. <laughs> Nothing is free, right? So it it'll feel like free money, but maybe you have to do some things you don't want to do to get it. Um, maybe there's kind of a hidden gotcha there, but effectively what I'm saying is that we should all be finding ways to make, to protect and to teach. And I've mentioned him and, and his, his website, um, plenty of times, but if you haven't read him, if you haven't learned about, uh, Ben Hunt and Rusty Gwynn of, of Epsilon theory, I, I just cannot tell you how, how on point I think these guys are. And it's, it was really helpful for me to find their work to, to make it so I didn't feel so alone with, with how I saw the world. These were smart, sharp, successful people that expressed a worldview that I could really identify with. And more importantly, that I thought was a good representation of what is actually going on. We can, we can tell ourselves stories about what's going on. Um, but I, I do think it's important to make sure those stories fit as close to reality as, as we can, um, or at least that first surface layer of objective reality. We're not going to have a deep philosophical uh, conversation about, about like quantum physics and what that means for the existence of an objective reality. And that, so I, for another time, perhaps, but make protect and teach was was something that Ben Hunt talked about in a piece that he wrote in September of 2019 it's called the long now it's a series of of essays but what he describes as the long now is what we're going through now the widening political gyre we 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 highlighted that in the last two videos how we're we're seeing um the average left or right voter kind of split away from each other. We're not seeing reciprocity in the center. We're not seeing candidates come to the center. We're seeing increasingly radical ideas. We're seeing just a, a, a break 
of consensus, political consensus. Now that political consensus wasn't necessarily a good thing for certain parts of the world for a long time. I'm not, I'm not saying we need to go back to just being moderates and keep doing what we've been doing. Not at all. But we, we do need to be able to agree on some basic fundamental things. And we just, they're, everyone operates right now on their own set of facts. Very few people hold, hold those sets of facts to a critical light, honestly, for long. And it's, it's splitting us apart. It's ripping the, the social fabric that humans not only want, but I mean, we need, we are social animals incredibly social and another thing that 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 Ben really hit on quite well in defining the long now is this political and economic impetus to pull all of our prosperity in the future to now we we basically we have we have a debt problem that is so enormous that the only way to deal with it is to devalue it and hope that through that devaluation process to devalue the currencies the debts are denominated in, to hope that that spurs enough inflationary growth that you can kind of get this Keynesian top spinning again. I don't think that's the best way to do it, but it is the system within which we live. So you kind of have to understand those rules, but what you're seeing with all these policies where the Federal Reserve puts a backstop in markets and the riskier, the, mo- the more ridiculous your investment strategy, the richer you get, <laughs> you know, um, where, where prudence is punished and recklessness is rewarded. That is a, a that is a big function of what this this long now where we just have to maintain this this thing we've built, despite the fact that it's it's decaying right through our fingers. Um, and it's political, it's economic, it's social. And through, through this, it's so disruptive and it, and it breaks our, our mental models for what we thought we knew about our world or our, our politicians or our leadership or what have you. And we, we are suddenly in a position to where we don't know what to believe. I, I don't believe anything. And through that, or worse, we, we kind of, we, we, we dig into some of those core ideas that may not be great and we become rhinoceroses. And I've talked about this this concept before too, but what what is a rhinoceros in this um, in this context? And what it is, it comes from a book by a gentleman by the name of Eugene Ionesca. He wrote it in I think 19, uh, 1959 and when it was published. But it, it's it's the story of got a note here this comes directly from from ben hunt's piece which i did link here at the bottom of the slide so epsilon theory.com please check it out you can read two free pieces a month in in perpetuity but um ben goes on to say about about mr ionesco's book uh, his masterpiece rhinoceros is about a central european town where the citizens turn one by one into rhinoceroses once changed they do what rhinoceroses do uh, which is rampage through the town, destroying everything in their path. People are a little puzzled at first, what with their fellow citizens just turning into rampaging rhinos out of the blue, but even that slight puzzlement fades quickly enough. Quickly enough. <laughs> I didn't see the, the period there. Uh, soon it's just the new normal. 
Soon it's just the way things are. A good thing, even. Something to be, right? Only one man resists the, sirens, the siren call of rhinocerousness, and that choice brings nothing but pain and existential doubt as he is utterly, profoundly alone. So I, I tell myself this on a regular basis. Do not become a rhinoceros. And you're seeing it. The, the memes of the, the reaction of, of people whose politics uh, veer to the left, the memes of, the, of, of you know, people screaming at Trump's inauguration, that's, that's the rhinoceros process. Um, the stop the steal and people going out there saying that, that, that protesting and, and, and getting in people's face over, over a stolen election um, that's turning into a rhinoceros too. And that isn't to say anything about the validity of the election. If you think that every election in the United States is an honest and fair uh, thing, don't read any history on, on politics. Don't do it. It's not. Uh, this isn't new. But the the clashes between the Boogaloo Boys and, and Antifa, while mostly look like theater to me, they they they. Beating, beating people with flags is kind of stupid. Um, that's that's rhinoceros. That's the process of becoming a, a political rhinoceros. Um, you know, not being able to have a cordial dialogue with people that disagree with you, and having everything become a fight. That that's becoming our a rhinoceros. You're seeing this everywhere. And I want to read just kind of in Ben's own words here the opening of, of this piece. Um, oh, and the, the last picture here, which he, he, he uses in the piece, this is from Greek mythology, I believe. It's, it's Saturn devouring his son. And Ben writes, every three or four generations, humanity consumes itself with the fang and claw of fascism and collectivism. Every three or four generations, we eat our own. This is that time. This is the long now. In politics, it takes the form of a widening gyre, where the center cannot hold against the onslaught of polarizing political entrepreneurs who eliminate the political promise of the future, replacing it with the long now of constant political fear. In economics, it takes the form of a market utility, where those same illiberal political entrepreneurs eliminate the economic risk of the future, replacing it with the long now of constant economic stimulus. And if you spend any time in or around markets, that should be ringing a pretty large bell. I didn't do the numbers on or do the math on what what Tesla's revenue is or how many units they sell, but their market cap is now bigger than every every car manufacturer on the planet combined. And uh, you know, someone who's been absolutely wrong on how far that stock could go. I mean, I've said for a long time it's a zero, and I still think that. But it's a six hundred billion dollars zero at the, at the <laughs> for the time being. Um, the long now can be longer than you can imagine. And and the really great point he puts it in bold in his note. Uh, it wasn't just the bad guys who became rhinoceroses, in in Eugene's book. And it's not just bad guys who are, you know, bad people who are becoming rhinoceroses now. It's something we're being prodded into. I think the division serves an end. At the very least, it serves as a very, very convenient distraction if you're trying to quickly build a political framework that you don't really want folks to understand until it's too late, which I think the Great Reset maybe was, um, 
but the cat is out of the bag now. And, and the process of avoiding being a rhinoceros is what we've always talked about, you know? Keep, a cl keep clear eyes about the narratives you're told about the world and, and where they come from and the missionaries that, that espouse those narratives. Keep full hearts. Maintain a spirit of reciprocity of the golden rule with, with your fellow humans. If you do those two things, no matter what the outcome is, no matter what the path to that outcome looks like, you won't lose. You will not lose. You might not have what you desperately wanted. You might not have as big a house as you used to have. I mean, things might change, but you won't lose the metagame of life. And and that's really why, you know, I, I came from the church and I, I don't want to say I've lost my religion, but I don't hold that faith as as tightly as I used to simply because I think there's some things that don't make sense. But this was a this was a a framework, this clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose framework. First as cheesy as it is based on a sports movie, um, it just made sense to me. It was something that I could just focus on engaging in every day. And here we are. So I wanna I wanna close this talk. I I owe my wife something. I told her I would keep it under 35 minutes. And she took the over. She was right. Um, but the, what I want to leave you with is get started now. Whether you're on the very first step of of just trying to build a resilient mind or build some, some mental uh, grit, great. Do that. If, if you're a little bit further in the process, what what's the next step? Why aren't you on it? Um, I'm not saying you've got to work your fingers to the bone, but we should all have near-term, medium-term, and long-term targets and bogeys that we're working to hit now. And you don't have to be rich. You know, you do not have to be independently, independently wealthy to begin this process. And it is a process. And the reason why I want to focus on it being a process is because the thing about processes is the more you engage in them, the better they get over time. You can refine them. A lot of times, if, if you're just trying to say, well, I want to be a farmer, for example, um, that's what I said a year ago, I'm going to farm. And my first experience with, with owning or managing or maintaining any kind of animals was I lost my entire apiary this year. <laughs> I lost all my bees to a flash flood. And that really took the wind out of my sails. But if, if I had not thought of this as a process where we will have losses, we will have setbacks, but it's about starting over when that happens. It's just up oh, right back to the building, you know, to the, to the drawing board or whatever it is that will keep you from, I think, getting too discouraged when, when the chips don't fall in your direction and, and something doesn't work out because, um, you can't stop trying. You can't stop engaging in the, in the process. One of the things we did not discuss in this video is impact on markets. What does the Great Reset look like for markets? And we talked about currency. That, that path isn't set in stone yet. I'm going to do a separate piece of content because I understand that I, I want to catch, I want to cast as wide a net with the, with the, the, the parts of this, the parts of what I produce that apply to a lot of people. Things like this, I think, apply to you whether or not you you care about markets at all. And so I want to travel on two tracks there. For those of you that are much more plugged into managing your own assets or the assets of others, and just how do we think about allocation in this world, starting in January, I'll, I'll have a, a second series of video and podcast content that, that 
will kind of be you know by by invite or request only and then um i will be writing the the market related stuff and publishing publishing that on the internet as well so um i did tell you that i was going to keep these episode links down so I, I didn't quite hit the bogey that i set with my wife but uh, here we are at about 45 minutes or so uh, it's not bad so we'll close on a poem from from william yates which you know this this inspired a lot of ben's writing and and uh, some of his other pieces and this i think it's just it's very apropos of, of where we are in society today and what we're going through um it is called the second coming turning and turning in the widening gyre the falcon cannot hear the falconer things fall apart the center cannot hold mere anarchy is loosed upon the world the blood dimmed tide is loosed and everywhere the ceremony of innocence is drowned the best lack all conviction, while the worst are full of passionate intensity. Surely some revelation is at hand. Surely the second coming is at hand. The second coming. Hardly are those words out when a vast image out of spiritus mundi troubles my sight. Somewhere in sands of the desert, a shape with lined body and the head of a man, a gaze blank and pitiless as the sun, is moving its slow thighs while all about it, real shadows of the indignant desert birds. The darkness drops again, but now I know that 20 centuries of stony sleep were vexed to nightmare by a rocking cradle. And what rough beast, its hour come round at last, slouches towards Bethlehem to be born. So <laughs> kind of not the most, not the most feel-good poem uh, ever, but he, he, he wrote this in 1919, I believe, and he was a, an Irish poet. Irish or Scottish. So he wrote it really the last time we saw kind of a fourth turning, a big reset of the way of life at, at, at the uh, end of World War One, and, and if you lived in Europe or Russia uh, throughout that, it, it, was, it was a whirlwind. You did not know what direction was what. So... Um, I think it really sums up kind of nicely what we're going through and... and I share that just to, to really reinforce the idea that um, starting in your mind, starting in your heart is, is where everything else that we talked about tonight comes. So I, uh, where it comes from. So I, I really hope that uh, this, this whole package or series about the Great Reset has impacted you positively. I hope it's given you some hope. I'm very hopeful. I'm not, I'm not a doomsdayer. Um, but I, I also don't want to be sideswiped by, by something that we could have seen coming. So I, I hope you're getting something out of this content. Please feel free to share it with anyone in your circle, social media. Um, follow me if, you, if you're inclined, if you use the, the Twitters. Follow me on Twitter, at Guns and Money. Uh, the audio version of this show is up on Google Podcasts, Apple uh, iTunes podcast, everything. If, if, if it runs podcasts, it's, it's out there. So if, if you're one, if you're apt to, if you're still commuting, you know, and you, and you, you've got some, some time to kill and you commute, throw on a guns and money podcast and, um, and hopefully benefit from it. So appreciate the support and look forward to the next time we get to chat. Take care guys.